MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. Today, emails show Trump pressuring then-acting Attorney General Rosen to overturn the results of the 2020 election. It's been confirmed that Trump pushed out the Atlanta U.S. attorney over election fraud lies. Biden announces a fourth slate of judicial nominees. And Merrick Garland announces a national strategy to combat domestic terrorism. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. I'm a little... uh unorganized today. How are you? <laughs> uh, you know what? I am actually good because, and I'm just going to, I'm, I'm telling you how I know I'm going to feel by the time you're listening to this, my mother is going to be sitting in my living room and I'm picking her up from the airport. So you're hearing this on Wednesday and I get to see my mom for the second time in a year and a half. And I am happy. That's amazing. Where's she flying in from? Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ah, yes. Uh, your new representative in Congress just arrived at the Capitol today, as a matter of fact. Fabulous. I could not be happier about both situations. That is fabulous. I'm so glad you get to see your madre. Tell her I said hello. And uh, let's see. So a couple of stories just dry. I mean, we have the huge, massive lead story about the emails that House Oversight got between the White House and Trump lawyers and the Department of Justice, which is just mind blowing. And I'm going to talk to Ellie Honig about that a little bit later in the show. And that's our uh, lead story at the top. But should th- this just in, this has just been handed to me. <laughs> Trump executive could face charges as soon as this summer. An investigation into Alan Weisselberg, the Trump organization's financial chief, appears to be heading to its final stages as prosecutors increase pressure on him. So Manhattan DA appears to have entered the final stages of criminal tax investigation, just a tax investigation into Weisselberg. And he could possibly face charges this summer. So they're drawing up charges for Alan Weisselberg. Um, I had posited, I thought he was already cooperating and that we would see him sneaking in and out of this special grand jury. But apparently the witnesses that have gone in so far are testifying about him. Now, uh, this I was first like, uh oh, I hope he's going to cooperate because, I mean, you, first of all, you rarely bring an entire case around one person for tax charges. You know, this is obviously pressure to get him to flip. Second of all, you do have to, I think, bring charges in order to drop a plea agreement. So that might be what we're hearing here. Um, But Weisselberg has not yet been seen entering that grand jury. He's not cooperating yet or not officially. So uh, it would be really weird, and I've said this a million times, for Tish James to come out and say, we're helping the Manhattan DA for Manhattan DA to hire Pomerantz, forensics teams, uh, uh, panel the special grand jury, all just to go after Weisselberg. It just doesn't make any sense. So we'll see what happens. But that is a big story that just uh, came out. Looks like they are preparing charges as early as the summer on Weisselberg. And some good news that just dropped. Uh, the Senate voted unanimously to declare Juneteenth a holiday. Yes, much needed. I'm so glad that that happened. And I'm sort of surprised it was unanimous. Let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Unanimous in the Senate. And and now it just needs to go to the House and pass the House. And I am assuming Joe Biden will sign it. I hope he does. Yeah, me too. So that's a little bit of good news. And, uh, you know, as this Weisselberg thing kind of unfolds and I get more information on it, we'll, we'll go into more depth on that tomorrow. 
But today, uh, well, let, hey, let me, before we go to the hot notes, why don't I just say, <laughs> let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story I was talking about earlier comes from a tranche of emails received by Congress that show how broad Trump's efforts to overturn the election were, how panicked and ridiculous it was. Uh, An hour before Trump announced in December that Barr should step down, the president began pressuring Mr. Barr's eventual replacement. An hour before he asked Barr to leave, he started pressuring Jeffrey Rosen to have the Justice Department take up his claims of election fraud. He sent an email via his assistant to Jeffrey Rosen, that was the incoming acting attorney general, that contained documents purporting to show evidence of election fraud in northern Michigan, the same claims that a federal judge already threw out a week earlier in a lawsuit filed by one of Trump's lawyers. Another email from Trump to Rosen followed two weeks later, again via the president's assistant, that included a draft of a brief that Trump wanted the DOJ to file directly to the Supreme Court. He, he, he had this brief, and he said if he had filed this with the Supreme Court. The brief argued that the state officials had used the pandemic to weaken election security and pave the way for election fraud. The draft sounded a lot like that lawsuit in Texas, headed up by uh, Paxton, the attorney general there, and signed on by 16 or 17 other attorneys general. And, uh, it, you know, he that lawyer who had helped on the effort, that effort later tried with increasing urgency to track down Rosen at the Justice Department, saying he'd been dispatched by Trump to speak with Rosen. The emails turned over by the Justice Department to investigators on the House Oversight Committee and obtained by the Times show how Trump pressured Rosen to put the power of the Justice Department, put the Justice Department's name on these lawsuits that had already failed to try to prove his claims that the extensive voter fraud affected the election results. Now, I just want to read that first sentence of that last paragraph again. The emails turned over by the Justice Department to investigators on the House Oversight Committee. That means that this tranche of really damning emails was handed over to the Oversight Committee without subpoena by the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland. So I just wanted to throw that on the list of shit he's done right. Just for those of you out there that are real frustrated, and I get it, add that to the pro column, please. Yeah, because I I know a lot of people are frustrated with what he's been doing uh, or not, uh, so to speak. And I've had some issues, too. I've, I've said them on the show. But yeah, it was it was Merrick Garland who handed these these emails over. The documents dovetail with emails around the same time from Mark Meadows. That's the old chief of staff asking Rosen to examine unfounded conspiracy theories, including one that claimed people associated with an Italian defense contractor were able to use satellite technology to tamper with U.S. voting equipment from Europe. (laughs) Much of the correspondence occurred during a tense week with the Justice Department when Rosen and his top deputies realized that one of the peers, one of their peers had plotted with Trump to oust Mr. Rosen and then try to use federal law enforcement to force Georgia to overturn its election results. Trump nearly replaced Mr. Rosen with Jeffrey Clark. Remember that? I remember that. Mm -hmm. He was the acting head of the civil division. Rosen made clear to his top deputy in one message that he would have nothing to do with the Italy conspiracy theory. He would not arrange a meeting between the FBI and one of the conspiracy theorists, Brad Johnson, or speak with it. He wasn't going to talk to Rudy about it. He's like, no, this is ridiculous. And and he's like sending it to other like friends of his like, do you believe this shit? It was like, but now I don't want to. Rosen is not a hero. And I'm going to talk to Ellie about that a little bit later. But he says, quote, I learned that Johnson's working with Rudy Giuliani, who regarded my comments as an insult, asked if I would reconsider. I flatly refused, said I would not be giving any special treatment to Giuliani or any of his quote unquote witnesses and reaffirmed yet again, I will not talk to Giuliani about any of this. That's a real good way to get your whole thing shut down and just throw Rudy's name in the mix and then be like, no, we're out. Thanks. 
No, no, thanks. No, thanks. thanks, but no, thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye. Yeah, that guy shit his own face. I don't need to talk to him. Uh, Mr. Rosen is in the process of negotiating to give a single interview with investigators from the Oversight Committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee and others who are looking into the final days of the Trump administration. And he asked the Justice Department's current leaders to sort out what he can and cannot say about the core facts that involve meetings at the Oval Office with Trump, which could be privileged. And that is true. Those could be privileged. Rosen met with department officials and spoke with Trump's representatives within the last week to discuss these matters as well. According, that's according to a person briefed on the meetings. If the parties cannot come to an agreement, the issue will be thrown into the courts where it would most likely languish for months, if not years. Oi. That's all I have to say. Oi. At the end of that. Uh, an AGN newly released emails confirmed that the former guy pushed out Atlanta's top federal prosecutors as part of his effort to overturn his election loss. So now we're going down to Georgia. White House officials, they pressured B.J. Pack to resign January 4th as U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia as the then president and his allies attempted to involve the Department of Justice in a scheme to discredit Joe Biden's election win, which Trump baselessly claimed was fraudulent. Now, this is reported by The Wall Street Journal. From Raw's story, the resignation came one day after news outlets published a recording of a call between Trump and Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Roethlisberger, or as we know, Ben Roethlisberger. (laughs) Roethlisberger. (laughs) Which showed the ousted president pressuring his fellow Republican to, quote, find enough votes to overturn his loss in that state. We all remember that beautiful phone call because there was evidence. Mm -hmm. Pack a lifelong Republican appointed by Trump as U.S. attorney in 2017 has previously pledged to stay on through Inauguration Day, when the next U.S. Attorney General decides whether to keep them on, but cited unforeseen circumstances for his sudden resignation. Mm, unforeseen circumstances. We all posited that he was pushed out, and, and now we have confirmation that he was. There you go. All your beans are usually correct. Yeah. So for that Weiselberg thing, it's bugging me. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Just, a, just wait. Patience, grasshopper. I hope it's just a step. <laughs> and remember that commission that our friend and former guest Josh Geltzer worked on to develop mm-hmm. a plan to combat DVE, domestic violent extremism? Yeah. Well, Attorney General Merrick Garland on Tuesday announced, gave a whole big speech about it, and a new strategy to combat domestic terrorism after the Biden administration completed a sweeping assessment of that threat posed by domestic violent extremism following the insurrection. Garland tied the new policy directly to the attack on the Capitol. The Justice Department has said it has an enormous task ahead to move forward as a country, to punish the perpetrators, to do everything possible to prevent similar attacks and to do so in a manner that affirms and values on which our justice system is founded upon, which our democracy depends. I, I, I don't feel like that's what he said, but OK, I'm just reading. <laughs> Quote, the resolve and dedication in which the Justice Department has approached the investigation of the January 6th attack reflects the seriousness with which we take this assault on a mainstay of our democratic system. Then Garland listed several instances of domestic terrorism and violent extremism in, in recent history, including Charleston, South Carolina, the church shooting, the congressional baseball shooting, the violent protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, by white nationalists and far-right extremists, the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, the mass shooting that occurred at a Walmart in El Paso. Uh, So he listed quite a few. Garland stressed that the new strategy, and this is important, is focused on violence, not an ideology, stressing we do not prosecute people for their beliefs. And here, this is the part where he's very serious about, hey, if you're racist, if you're a Nazi, uh, that's your right to have those ideologies under the First Amendment. Just like when, remember when uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the Westboro Baptist Church was 
allowed to mm-hmm. do what they were doing at funerals. Yeah. And it, it enraged most of us because of the hateful, hateful things they were putting on their signs, uh, you know, just more than 50 yards away from a, from Marine funerals, for example. But that is protected speech. Yeah. It, and, and that sucks. But it is. You know, I'm sorry. Now, you're not going to like all speech. He's saying it's what you do with that ideology. It, do you break the law? Do you mm-hmm. step beyond the letter of the law with, with the, you know, that ideology motivating you? Do you incite violence through it? Yeah, I'm focused on violence, not ideologies. In America, espousing a hateful ideology is not unlawful. We do not investigate individuals for their First Amendment protected activities. So I'm glad he said that because, you know, and now hate speech is a crime, you know, inciting insurrections is a crime. And that's what he's focused on, the crimes, not the ideologies. He said he visited the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma earlier this year and was struck by the failure to do justice after that massacre. We cannot promise, he says, that we'll be able to disrupt every plot, defuse every bomb or arrest every co-conspirator before they manage to wreak unspeakable horror. But we can promise that we will do everything in our power to prevent such tragedies. And we can further promise that we will never again fail as we did after Tulsa to pursue justice. So he invoked the Tulsa massacre. I just I'm trying to be patient, just like the rest of the country. Some good things are happening. And I do like the way uh, he is handling the racist problems we have in this country. At least we've got a Justice Department that's addressing them. Yeah. And and it's not really a Justice Department's job and it can't be to police. Right. Yeah. That's kind of on us. We need to make being racist or being homophobic or being transphobic embarrassing and shameful again. We can make those decisions with our wallets when we don't eat at Chick-fil-A, for example, yep. or don't give money to, to companies who donate money to Republicans in Congress who try to uphold and write those laws or the anti-trans bills or the anti-voting bills. That's how that's what we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But Garland's like, I'm the law, so... It's not illegal to be a racist. Yeah. I mean, we can't you can't argue with it. You can't argue with it. Now, uh, Biden has announced his fourth slate of judicial nominees. This is from the desk of the White House. This is a quote. As he continues to move at a historic pace with respect to judicial nominees, the president is announcing five new candidates for the federal bench and two new candidates for District of Columbia courts, all of whom are extraordinarily qualified, experienced and devoted to the rule of law and our constitution. These choices also continue to fulfill president's promise to ensure that the nation's courts reflect the diversity that is one of our greatest assets as a country, both in terms of personal and professional backgrounds. For example, uh, the slate includes a national recognized leader on voting rights who would be the only Latina serving on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. We have a former public defender and uh, current civil rights plaintiff's attorney who would be the second African-American woman judge actively serving on the district court of the District of Columbia. We also have a federal prosecutor who would be the first judge of South Asian descent to serve on the district court for the uh, District of Connecticut and a Department of Justice lawyer with two decades of civil rights experience, including as deputy chief of the appellate section in the Civil Rights Division. We also have a magistrate judge on the D.C. Superior Court with deep experience in domestic violence and family law issues. That is much needed in this country. Now, this is a President Biden's fourth round of names for the federal judicial positions, bringing the number of announced federal judges um, 
judicial nominees to 24. So now we're at 24. President Biden has spent decades committed to strengthening the federal bench, which is why he continues to move at an unparalleled speed with respect to judicial nominations. His first judicial nominations announcement was made faster than any new president in modern American history. And today's announcement continues that trend. So we I, we've got to get them in there. I mean, let's do this. Who you know? We got to get out in the midterms, but this needs to happen. Uh huh. Yeah. And fast. Yeah. And, and he's doing. This is one of the things he's doing super quick. Uh, is is getting these judges nominated. Uh, so the the names here: Myrna Perez and Sarah Merriam. We have Sarala Nagala and Omar Williams, Gia Cobb, Tova Calderon. Kania Lopez. And those that's the that's this particular slate of judges. I just wanted to get their names out there because thank you so much because they're awesome. All right, everybody. (sighs) I hate it that I have to rant with Ellie Honig, but I love when I get to rant with Ellie Honig, (laughs) which is yes, it's a good rant. It is a good rant to listen to. Yeah. And so uh, he and I are going to talk a little bit about these Department of Justice emails. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back with that. And yeah, it's going to be who. Yeah, we're we're not happy. (laughs) Grab a drink, grab a beverage, alcohol or non, it doesn't matter. Buckle up. Here we go. (laughs) Buckle up for Ellie Honig. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison from The Beans, and today's episode is brought to you by Context Travel. This is so amazing. I'm excited. First of all, the world's opening up again for travel, which is great. I'm already planning my next trip, and I found the absolute best place to start the journey. It's context learning. With context, I'm already learning about all the destinations I'm going to visit. It's like getting insider knowledge of all of the secret go-to places for my next big trip long before I even get on a plane. Context runs live, expert-led courses, lectures, and virtual tours around the globe. Travel with context across the globe to over 60 cities and six continents, visiting the world's cultural and historical capitals, I'm so excited for this. Last time I got a chance to travel overseas, I learned so much about history, the origins of my family. And for me, exploring a new place has always been such an amazing learning experience. And the best part about context is you skip the lines. You skip the off-hours access to popular sites. On any given day, you can uncover ancient Rome with an actual archaeologist, for example, or go behind the velvet rope at the Louvre with an art expert. Uh, You could do it all from the convenience of your home. And there's a variety of tour durations. You can have a half-day tour to a seven-day-plus tour. You can check out their website and read testimonials like this one from Matthew in Salinas, California, who said, having a guide with a master's in art history really brings things to life. One could probably do 10 hours at the same museum like this and never hear the same thing twice. So Daily Beans listeners, if you love travel and learning as much as I do, you're going to love this. For a limited time, when you buy one virtual tour, you'll get a second tour free when you use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at contextlearning.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-X-T learning.com. And again, use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, when you go to contextlearning.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am joined today by CNN senior legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor, and author of the book, Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. Ellie Honig. Ellie, welcome. Welcome, AG. I, I, you're the perfect person to talk to about this news story. But I have to say up front, this news story of the Trump White House trying to get DOJ to you know, throw the election, basically, I'm not going to be able to put this one on Bill Barr because he was gone by then. Although, although I do blame him for some of the run up in ways that we can discuss. But this is this is a crazy, crazy story. I mean, the actual emails just came out. And when I read them, here's what occurred to me. 
This is like the crap that gets siphoned off into your spam box of your personal folder, right? Like, you know, every couple of weeks you go, oh, what's in spam? And you go, what is this lunacy? I, I mean, the problem is it was stuff going from the White House over to the Department of Justice. Um, and it's really jarring to see it. Yeah, it definitely is. And at the heart of most of these is we have Rosen, right? Jeffrey Rosen, who, uh, you know, we saw him testify about uh, what was going on during the insurrection. We And I'm, I'm assuming we're going to see him testify about this stuff coming up uh, very shortly. But he was the acting attorney general after Barr left. And these emails started the day after Barr left. What were, Tell me about some of these standout emails to you. I mean, they're absolutely, it's mind boggling considering the the uh, the temper tantrum Republicans threw when not running for office, Bill Clinton was talked on an airplane on a tarmac to, to Loretta Lynch for five minutes. Yeah, it, it is. The comparison here is is no comparison. I'll tell you the email that, that jumped out at me. There's a bunch of just crazy wacko nonsense, like, you know, things that purport to be statistical analyses and detailed reports. But even that is just a sham. If you look at the emails, it's like more investigation, TBD. You know, it's like someone trying to play like an like a, a real investigator. But the one that the one email that really I looked at and went, "Oh my god!" You know, it was jarring. Was there is a point where some I'm not going to remember exactly, who, but some lawyer, some pro Trump lawyer, and it's funneling through the White House, sends a copy of the actual legal papers that they want the Justice Department to file in the Supreme Court, seeking review, seeking to overturn the election, and. It's the same garbage nonsense substance that we saw in all those various lawsuits that were rejected by the Supreme Court and elsewhere. But it, but in the header, the caption, it's United States of America versus states of Pennsylvania, et cetera. And I thought, oh, my God. I mean, just seeing it in black and white like that, United, like if DOJ had gone along with this and filed this paper, it, it might have been the lowest single moment in the history of DOJ. Now, thankfully, they didn't. Jeffrey Rosen is no hero. But for various reasons, but he 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 did the right thing here. When I say the right thing, yeah, it's the right thing. That you know, it's funny actually, kind of reading the DOJ side of the emails because they're just rolling their eyes at best, right? Someone says this is pure insanity, you know. Someone says I'm just trying to put these guys off. I'm not going to talk to Rudy anymore. I mean, DOJ handles this particular incident exactly right, and thank God they do. Yeah. And it's really the lowest level of doing the right thing that you I mean, outside of, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene going to the Holocaust Museum and then giving a book report about what she saw. It's like literally the least you can do. Yeah. And I do want to qualify it that way. Right. Like it's good that Jeffrey Rosen and company did not go along with this, but also like they don't deserve gold medals for this because (laughs) they couldn't have. Right. Like, look, as we saw throughout the Donald Trump's tenure and Jeff Sessions and, and really more so Bill Barr's tenure at DOJ. Lawyers, AGs can fudge facts, they can fudge the law, they can stretch the truth, they can lie by omission, they can just outright lie. But they can't come up with a lawsuit or they can't come up with an indictment where there's just nothing, right? Like they can't conjure something out of nothing. Um, There's that factor. And there's also the factor of the timing is important because this is happening in late December of 2020. Any halfway sentient being can tell that it's over. Trump has lost that it's only a matter of days before all these guys are out. And so, and you saw this to some extent with Barr as well. He certainly realized it was over. And all but the, the, the most sort of sycophantic, you know, dreamers, the Rudys, the Jenna Ellis's could see that it was over. And so they all went into reputation preservation mode. And I think that had a lot to do with Barr getting the heck out of there a little bit early. 
And I think that has an awful lot to do with Jeffrey Rosen's response here. But again, I mean, Rosen's not, you know, Gandalf. Is Gandalf, that's a wizard, right? He's not a wizard. He can't like <laughs> wave a magic wand and create evidence of, of election fraud anymore. They can wave a magic wand and conjure an elephant something. So, you know, I'll give him credit, but, but you know, it, this isn't like Elliot Richardson heroic stuff here. Yeah, no. And, and the language in that brief that Trump wanted to have the Department of Justice file directly with the Supreme Court right. uh, was a lot of the same language in that lawsuit brought by Texas Attorney General and, and 16 others, attorney, Attorneys General, I believe, uh, uh, Paxton. You yeah. know, that that one where they were trying to... It's the same kind of thing that didn't go anywhere and didn't have any legs either. And and so it's it's um, it's mind-boggling to, to, to think... You know, I mean, we all sit around and go, eh, that's typical Trump. But I mean, this is so far beyond anything. I, I hate that everyone's used to this. This is this is worth more than your typical, oh, that's typical Trump. This is more dangerous and crazier um, because what they were trying to do is really take the DOJ's stamp, the imprimatur, the, the letterhead, which you know carries a lot of weight, and put it on the election fraud garbage. And yes, the brief would have been just as doomed as, Ken Paxton's brief. It, it would have been humiliating for DOJ to have, I, I still say, our names on that. Um, another thing that I think is, is noteworthy is this is not just Donald Trump. One of the sort of hallmarks, repeating themes, I guess, of Donald Trump's tenure is he would go on these rants and raves and, and tell people to do things that were irresponsible or illegal, and they would kind of ignore him or just brush it aside or wait for the storm to roll over. And Don McGahn's testimony drove that home, right? McGahn said at times he lied to Trump just to get him off the phone and said, yeah, 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 I'm going to follow through with the Mueller, getting rid of Mueller, yeah, 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 but he said he had no intention to. The, the what's, what's alarming here is you see high-level, smart White House staffers, up to and including Mark Meadows, who aren't just going along with this, they're facilitating it. They're the point. None of these emails are to or from Donald J. Trump. He's not an emailer. Um, it, it's Mark Meadows and others carrying out his will. And um, DOJ, you know, we say they're the last bulwark and uh, they certainly were in this case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, this, like you said, this is after Barr left, but I do have some questions for you about when Barr was there sure. because I haven't talked to you uh, since we got the news regarding, uh, you know, the, the the Department of Justice subpoenaing, quote unquote, records or metadata of, of members of Congress and reporters and, and all of that. And I know that that happened before Barr got there, but he carried a torch a little bit. And I wanted to ask you about that. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Of course. Of course. Excellent. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this portion of The Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I love sleep. I love sleeping. We all love sleeping. But, you know, last four years, I haven't been getting really good sleep. I thought it was because of the orange menace. But as it turns out, I didn't have a mattress that was made to my specifications. Well, Helix Sleep to the rescue. Because with Helix, they have a two-minute online quiz that helps you figure out your individual sleep preferences and matches you with a mattress that's going to be a perfect fit for you. Plus, you have 100 nights to try it out with no risk. I've had my Helix for over a year now. As you know, I absolutely love it. It's like sleeping on a cloud. I sleep so much better than on my old mattress, and I've had the best brand mattresses, but Helix is by far head and shoulders above all of them. You're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Helix has soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have cooling mattresses if you sleep hot like I do. They have mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And uh, they have a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers, too. I took the Helix quiz, and I was matched with the Midnight because I like my bed medium firm, and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. It's a huge upgrade over what I used to have. And you don't have to take my word for it. They got number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. 
Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress. You will get the best sleep of your life. And they have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, like I said. And they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. And Helix even has financing options available and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. And today's episode is also brought to you by Quince. If you like the quality of designer clothes but don't like the high prices, you will love Quince. I absolutely love it. They connect you directly with the factories that make products for the world's leading luxury brands, so you can cut out the middleman. I'm so glad I discovered Quince. It's been amazing to find these luxury products at incredible prices. Uh, They have apparel, cashmere, bags, bedding, accessories, home products. And with Quince, you'll find the finest quality in a wide variety of products like Italian leather handbags, handcrafted in Florence, or silk loungewear and pajamas, which are the best for summertime. Belgian linen sheets, so much. And Quince goods are not only gorgeous and high quality and sold at radically lower prices, They're also made in a sustainable way, which is very important to us here at The Beans. And with Quince, everything is 100% factory direct. Like I said, no middleman. Uh, And that's why they can offer such low prices. As seen in Real Simple, In Style, Refinery29, and more. Best of all, there's free shipping and returns for a year, 365 days. And if you're not completely satisfied, they'll give you a full refund, so there's no risk. So to get from 50 to 80% off top-of-the-line clothing and home goods, plus free shipping, text the word DAILY to 64000. Again, text the word DAILY to 64000. Terms apply, which you can see at onequince.com slash terms. And just text the word DAILY to 64000. All right, welcome back. We're talking to Ellie Honig. He just, uh, you can pre-order it now. It comes out in a couple weeks. Hatchet Man, how Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Justice Department. And uh, before the break, we were talking about Jeffrey Rosen and stuff that happened after Barr left. But I wanted to get your insights because... You know, you just put out this uh, this book. I just got my hands on it. I'm going <laughs> to devour it. Uh, and um, we're going to do a book club on it probably. But, you know, I'm sitting here thinking every day, every week, there's going to be more news about this corrupt person. I think I tweeted you. I was like, you're working on you're working on Hatchet Man too, right? <laughs> Corruption Boogaloo. Because I have to know what your top line thoughts were when you heard that that the Department of Justice, uh, first of all, under Sessions and Rosenstein and Sessions and Barr say they had nothing to do with it. But uh, apparently it was Barr's Department of Justice that renewed these gag orders so that no one could tell yeah. the targets or subjects or people who had the, they maybe they weren't targets or subjects. We don't know yet. The inspector general will find that out. But what were your top line thoughts when you heard this? This is outrageous. Yes. And there's so many questions um, that I want to get to. So. I think Bill Barr has to testify. I don't think he will. I think he'll fight it. And I don't believe Jerry Nadler is strong enough or dedicated enough or committed enough or capable enough to force him to testify if he refuses, because that would require going to court very quickly, fighting and winning in the courts. But Bill Barr should testify if he's got nothing to hide. And he was courageous enough to make a public statement. You know, he talked to someone in the media and said he didn't know anything about this. Well, come on in and back it up and answer us, if you will, (laughs) Attorney General Barr, former Attorney General Barr, the following questions. What was the predication for these investigations? What was the (laughs) nugget of fact that led you or your predecessors to start the investigations? Why the secrecy? Why did you, William Barr, agree to re-up the secrecy? Why did this need to be kept away from Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff and, in another case, Barbara Starr, you know, members of the media? What was your justification for going to court and seeking secrecy. Why so broad? Why 100 different subpoenas on 100 different email or phone accounts? Um, Are there other cases out there that are still pending? 
And, you know, will you cooperate with efforts by DOJ to get the real truth here? It, it, it's an age old idea. It's a common sense idea. But if you've got nothing to hide, come forward and testify. And we will see if he does. I strongly suspect he will not. And these are all very serious questions because there's so much we don't know. But every appearance right now is that Trump and DOJ targeted the media, sources they don't like, political adversaries, and perhaps even Don McGahn. Now, there is a scenario where some of these phone numbers got swept up in a larger case, right? It could be they were invested. One of the theories that people have put up there is maybe they were investigating just a congressional staffer, let's say, hypothetically, of shifts. And, you know, everyone who he happens to talk to will list it on his phone, you know, his numbers in contact with his phone numbers so they'll subpoena all those people. My response to that is we need to know that. Um, I wouldn't be so casual about, well, they decided to look at a staffer of Adam Schiff's. That's not that much different than looking at Adam Schiff himself. But we need to know. And, and, you know, how bad is it? It certainly really looks bad. And I do want to say this, AG, you are far from the only person who has, you know, emailed or texted me or tweeted saying like, wow, like, you know, lucky for you in a book sense, lucky for you that the all of these scandals have been blowing up the last month or two with Bill Barr. And I say kind of, I guess, you know, lucky in, in, in the book sense, but also when you tap into such a deep vein of corruption, it's going to keep on flowing. I mean, if I, you know, if I had written a book about someone who wasn't as corrupt as Barr, then we wouldn't keep having stories. So I, I will take a little bit of credit for identifying somebody who I think will emerge as possibly just number two to Donald Trump himself or 1A to Donald Trump himself in terms of corruption coming out of this era. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and what's really uh, amazing, and you bring this up, and this is this is there's a lot of arguments on both sides for this, but you bring up the predication. That's yeah. the number one thing, right? Because Inspector General is doing a, an investigation to this. That's Horowitz at the Department of Justice. He did the investigation into the oranges <laughs> of the Russia probe and determined there was plenty of criminal predication to right. launch this investigation. It wasn't politically motivated. And that's what I'm uh, assuming he's going to do for this as well. And, you know, they, they might argue the predication was that there were leaks, but you can't go after individuals yeah. or you shouldn't be going after individuals where you don't have where there's no criminal predication that that individual was the leaker. You just you're just guessing because they're Democrats. Well, then there's your answer. It's a political it's a political in nature type of a type of an investigation. So I, I hope that we get those answers and I hope that we learn who else they went after. And like you said, it could have been a staffer. And then they went after all the phone numbers of the person that staffer talked to. But, you know, I was talking to to Frank Vigluzzi. He's like, yeah, but then you find out who those phone numbers belong to before you subpoena those records right. because you don't want to be subpoenaing a bunch of Democrats records without knowing who they were. And so uh, I guess my final question is this. The judge that signed off on these grand jury subpoenas, I, I have to assume she didn't know who they were going after because this is a 30 year judge. I think her name is Deborah Robinson. She's been uh, uh, she's she oversaw the Manafort indictments. Uh, uh, she's, you know, she doesn't seem like a corrupt judge. So I, I can't imagine that she knew that this was happening and kept granting these gag orders. And that's exactly why we need to see the applications, right? We need to see what DOJ told this judge. Maybe the judge got it wrong. Maybe the judge didn't have the full story. Maybe they did have sufficient predication. Maybe they did have a good enough. But you're right. Just saying, well, there were leaks. That's not enough because you have to, the predication mean, has to mean as to a specific person, right? And, and now look, the bar for predication is very low. They just needed something to go on. But it's not just a question really of predication to start the whole thing. That's important. But also sort of 
justification, factual basis to keep expanding upward and outward. That we need to take a, a sort of close look at as well. And keep this in mind, Allison, when it, when it comes to the inspector general's investigation, the IG cannot force anyone outside the Justice Department to testify, uh, up to and including Jeff Sessions and Rob Rosenstein and Bill Barr. And that's why Congress is going to likely have a job to do here, because the IG can get a lot of information, but not necessarily the whole story in the way that Congress has, because Congress has subpoena power, which has been substantially weakened under Trump and Barr. And now we'll see, uh, we'll see if Nadler or, or any other member of Congress is willing to go to court and fight for it. Mm-hmm. But IG can certainly uh, ask the Department yeah. of Justice for these applications. Uh, yep. And absolutely, I don't imagine that the Department of Justice is going to withhold those this time. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I don't think they will hold it from their own IG. That would be stunning. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, the vein of corruption, we've we've. <laughs> And you know what? We think we've hit the mother load here. There'll be more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no way this is this is the end. I mean, part of part of why this is such an outrage is because they almost like set it on a timer, you know, with the with the gag orders. It's like it's like when you're doing your mm-hmm. laundry when you go to bed, but you know you're not gonna be awake to 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 change it over to the dryer. So you set it for like four hours ahead or six hours ahead. You know what I mean? It's like they intentionally set it to go off later when they wouldn't be around anymore. And really harder to hold accountable at that point. I don't know if that was the ultimate plan, but but that's the way it played out. And that, I think that's that's uh, really part of the problem here. Yeah, I've even sort of timed it out in my own head. You know, these February 6th, these were February 6th, 2018 subpoenas. Mm-hmm. I imagine they asked for a 90-day ga- gag order, which pushed it into May. And then in May, they renewed it for a year. And then in May, they renewed it for a year and it expired in May. Yeah. Uh, under Garland, who let it expire. And remember, uh, and so, there could be other ones still out there. There could be some that, that mm-hmm. will expire in two weeks or eight weeks or six months. And, and one of the things I've been calling on Merrick Garland that I think he needs to do is pull all of these, look at them, all, any pending gag orders that involve members of the media or Congress, and review them. And if there's no longer a need for secrecy, go back to the judge right now and say, judge, we, we, we move to you know withdraw these or, or to end the gag orders early because there's no longer a need. And put them out there now. It's going to be better for everybody, everybody, if that happens now versus on a sort of rolling basis over the next however many months. I don't think Garland will do that. I think he is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it would be much more consistent with everything else he's done to just wait for them to lapse one by one and then put them out there. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think that I think that anyone that's about to lapse soon, he'll probably just let it let yeah. it go. Uh, but, you know, if they're more than six months out, man, go to court, yeah. get them, get them. You know, that's what I it's that's very what easy to if you do that as a prosecutor, if you go to a judge and say, hey, judge, you gave us a year on this one. We're, we're five months in. We don't need it anymore. Any judge in the world will immediately lift it. So it, I think there is an obligation there. Cool. Yep, I agree. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, you, I mean, you can find your book anywhere. You can pre-order it now. Uh, it's read it now because I'm going to start recording these episodes. It's going to it's it's good. And it's called Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. By Ellie Honig. Ellie, thanks for your time today. Thanks so much. Can't wait to join your book club at the end. It's going to be great. All right, everybody, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's Allison, and this portion of The Beans is brought to you by American Giant. I absolutely am in love with my hoodie from American Giant. Let me tell you about the story. If you look back at the craftsmanship of the past, you can see that it wasn't always the way it is today with all these mass-produced clothes that end up in landfills because we have to rebuy them over and over again. Uh, Well, Bayard Winthrop, CEO and founder of American Giant, grew up with this sweatshirt from the 50s that his dad gave him. And today it's still in his closet and it looks better than ever. 
And with that durable sweatshirt in mind, he launched American Giant with the classic full zip hoodie as their flagship product. And I absolutely am in love with this hoodie. It's slimming, it's durable, it's substantial, it's warm and soft, and it's made with a metal zipper and the little metal ends on the things. It's just incredible. Slate says, there really is no comparison between American Giant's hoodie and the competition. It looks better and feels substantially more durable when you wear this hoodie. You will wonder why all other clothes aren't made this well. And I agree. Uh, They even brought in a former Apple industrial designer to help during the design process. Um, So you're absolutely going to love this. When I first tried it, I was so impressed. Um, with the just the heft. It's just so good. It's so well made. Um, it is the, the best hoodie ever made. The, definitely. It's more durable and well made than any other one I've ever had. So uh, get your classic full zip hoodie at American-Giant.com today and use promo code DAILYBEANS for 15% off your first order. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at American-Giant.com. And today's show is also brought to you by Monk Pack Nut and Seed Bars. These are so, I'm a snacker. I snack all day and I try not to. So I have to find healthy snacks, but healthy snacks have a bad reputation. They never taste very good, but that's why I'm glad I found the Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars. They contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. So they're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle or people who just want to eat healthier and snack healthier. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have the perfect balance of sweet and savory. They have that crunch, that good crunch that you crave. Uh, And they still manage to be soft and chewy. They're perfect. And they come in delicious flavors like caramel sea salt and peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite is caramel sea salt, hands down. So good. And since they're packed with protein, they're filling and satisfying. I like to take them on the go, take them on a run, and then I just eat it right after. It gives me that protein boost that I need. They're amazing. And I signed up for a subscription, which saves me 10% on every order and ships to me automatically. And getting those treats delivered to me on a regular basis has been a game changer in my effort to eat healthier. So try it for yourself. We have a special deal for listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our code DAILYBEANS at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product. It has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to MonkPack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, then enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. And save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, after that, uh, chat it's good to have the good news come come at the end of the show i must say yeah it's so. just an ex- exhalation mm-hmm. so this is our uh what is today even wednesday this is our wednesday good news if you have anything you want to submit whether it's good news confessions corrections what the mutt you want to play what's our our latest game i can't even remember oh there's it's, it's a, a fun one that pronounces city. oh, oh and how Gomer dumb is, is Louis dumber than, yeah mm-hmm. yeah louis gohmert uh, that's a good one. Anything you want, anything you need to send in, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Uh, I'll, I'll kick us off with a with a submission here from YB, pronouns they and them. Happy Pride, my honey nut querio. <laughs> that's how it starts. I am several of the queer alphabet, a well-spiced gayphabet soup, if you will. And I'm sending all my love and respect to the rest of the fruit basket. Y'all fucking rock. I'm grateful for your mentorship, advocacy, and visibility. Don't let anyone's bigoted ignorance detract from your shine. You're valued. You deserve to belong. And I, for one, am happy you're on this hunk of space dust. It's better off with you on it. Aw, thanks. Love that. 
And a special shout out to my fellow disabled neurodivergent queers. It's a rough world out there and it shouldn't have to be, but I draw so much strength from our shared history of persistence. We're truly the diamonds in the rough. No pets were available for pet tax, so I'll have to request a reprieve on account of good credit. I nearly rescued a four or five week old kitten from heavy traffic just outside of Santa Fe and would have succeeded if not for the amazing human who got there a few seconds ahead of me and immediately scooped up the terrified yet safe floof. I am nauseated to think how the poor bean ended up there, but I hope that little fuzzball can now have a much happier time. I love the way YB writes. I know. It's awesome. I know. Thank you for that submission. All right. This next one is from Chris. No pronouns given. I found your podcast, which is great news for me. Please keep up the great news. (laughs) Also, I attached a couple pictures of my old smell hound, who is so (laughs) cute. Hello. Well, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the family. Mm-hmm. All right. This next one's from Aaron. Pronounce he, him, a mondegreen for you. When I first started driving, I made a point to start listening to the cool kids music. So I switched from country to alternative rock. How dare you, Aaron? Now the radio station. I, I support you, Aaron. I support Aaron, you. Aaron, come back to country. <laughs> okay. The radio station I chose liked to play Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. Best. One of the best records ever, by the way. Mm. I never caught the name of the song and often song lyrics go in one ear and out the other, unless they're repeated quite often. Of course, the most frequently repeated phrase in the song is probably Mr. Jones and me. But I heard Mr. Joe Namby. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Joe Namby. And the rest of the song flowed right past me. But I suppose must have assumed it was a Tuesdays with Maury situation. Tuesdays with Mr. Joe Namby. By the way, Tuesdays with Maury is a fantastic book if you haven't read it. Yes, highly recommend. Thank you, Aaron, for that submission. And thanks for coming to the dark side with the alternative rock. I Come back you. to country. <laughs> Stay with the alternative. Okay, next up from James pronouns he and him. Here's a couple of stories following up Mandy Reedy's comment about pronouncing Toronto. The song The Beat Goes On by the band The Kings has this triplet which rhymes in in the song, even if it doesn't on paper. Hey, little Donna, I still wanna. You said to ring you up when I was in Toronto. Uh, go uh, back to when my mother was at the University of Toronto <laughs> in the Engineering Society's Lady Godiva Memorial Banad, not a typo, it's supposed to be Banad, would do the traditional spell the city name cheer. Give me a T, give me an R, give me an A, give me an N, give me an A. What's that spell? Toronto. <laughs> We don't have much to report concerning Cobalt the mini Aussie. Uh, They have that spelled out here. She is not fully recovered from her vestibular syndrome, but she's most of the way there. We've been out to her favorite beaches a few times and she's loving that. For change of pace, here are a couple photos of my sister's new kitten, Atticus, after Atticus Finch, with her not quite so new as new lab, Indy, because we named the dog Indiana. Don't worry, Indy has not yet eaten Atticus in spite of what the first photo looks like. First photo is fantastic. <laughs> I'm also including the logo of the Lady Godiva Memorial Banana. Look at that. Look at look at Atticus's <laughs> face. Atticus is like, what is this bullshit? <laughs> we named the dog Indiana. Oh, I love that oh photo so much. Oh, Aww, and the cuddle, cuddle in the back paws. Uh, and there's the Lady Godiva Memorial Banad. Oh, that's so great. All right. This next one, um, I believe is anonymous. Pronouns I am air. Uh, E-I-R. For those of you that aren't familiar with those, look them up. Regarding the MyPillow roadshows, I'm a demo presenter at a major warehouse store, and I have worked with the roadshow personnel. 
Personnel. Yeah. Uh, they travel from, every once in a while. I say a word correctly and it shocks me. They travel from <laughs> store to store, taking their show on the road through the year, presenting their company's products with demonstration materials, bedding, special drinks, massage chairs, butters, and syrups are all common roadshow products. Right now, my store has a pair of full body massage chairs on roadshow. They like, uh, they look like sci-fi space fighter pilot seats and are almost as expensive. Good to know. I would oh, well, love man. to go to some of these road shows because I feel like it's like the old, like, you know, Sky Mall magazines where you get to see yeah. this shit and you're like, I need one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that, but I'm getting it. Yep. That's exactly right. Next up from Matthew Pronunci and him. Great shows again. First, the good news. Uh, I would like to play Proud Papa and congrats my son, Matthew the second for graduating high school. Uh, I'm not sure where the time went. <laughs> it seems like yesterday I was bringing him and my wife home from the hospital on a cold December morning. Yes, it does get cold in Florida. I said I wasn't going to cry, but I'm so proud of him, what he is becoming. and looking forward to my uh, parental transition to a more advisory role to a young adult. I've included a picture of him as a bonus tax. Thanks for reading my complaint regarding the use of the term critical race theory. This has allowed me to learn from a fellow listener regarding how historians regard the word theory versus how we science folks regard the word theory. Thanks to you, I now have a greater understanding of the term and I can better defend it as the truth, as the truth of our collective history is under heavy assault. Yes, it is. Apologies for the verbose message, but I've been traveling on college tours with the aforementioned recent high school graduate. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Also included is my head of security, Stryker, proofreading this message for errors. My goodness. Those are two very, well, three, because there's a gentleman in the background, but up close, two very good looking humans. I know, right? Wow. And the puff. Look at the puff. <laughs> proofreading. Yep. He is too. He's reading. Oh my God, so sweet. This one's from Bernie's F and Mittens. Hi guys, we all need happies. So here are some pics of my mom's alpacas. Alpaca Chino. <laughs> Alpaca Chino and Samuel Alpaca. I can't. <laughs> and they're forever smiles. Alpaca Chino. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Say hello to my little friend, Samuel Alpaca. What, what ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Look, he's giving you a look like Sam Jackson would, too. Totally. <gasps> okay, the one with the candy cane uh, antlers. Oh, God. And they're the very cute. Pack is a very cute. I love Alf. I am so glad I gave you this next one. <laughs> God. Oh, yeah, you are. Okay. Here we go from Melissa, pronoun she and her. I'm here to play Pronounce the Town with you. Hashtag sorry, not sorry in advance. Number one, I used to live in Wyoming, about 40 miles away from a town called Kemmerer. Uh, I'm going to say Kemmer. I'm just... Uh, yeah, I, just I, get rid just, of that er. Yeah, just Kemmer. Yeah. Number two, I always enjoy driving past Hurricane Utah, so it's probably like Hurricane or Hurricane. It's, it's probably just like... It's probably just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Utah. The hurricane's probably silent. Hurricane. 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 Number three. Urkel. It's just Urkel. Did I do that? Mm. Um, number three, Tuil. T-O-O-E-L-E. Utah. Utah is close to the Great Salt Lake. Tuelli. Tuel. I currently live in Southwark, London, in the UK. Sowark. It's probably like Sowark. 
Answers, Kremer. Kemmer. I was right. It's Kemmer. Well ha! No idea why they dropped that last ER, but it's a sure sign of an outsider if you say it. Apparently, the town was an early coal town in the Wild West and was named after Malin Kemmer, a primary investor. No idea how to pronounce Malin. <laughs> Come on, Malin Kemmerer. Can you get it? <laughs> I feel like if someone just started listening to the podcast and only heard the first paragraph of the submission with you and I, they would be like, are they okay? <laughs> And uh, hurricane is hurricane. Uh, so I, yeah, so I was close. No yep. idea why. Wikipedia says the name came from a settler remarking how some whirlwinds in the area were too excessive, so they should call the place Hurricane Hill. Uh, Tuwilla. Okay. I like it's not Tuel, uh, it's Tuwilla. Wikipedia says this one came from a band of uh, go shoot Shoshone natives that lived in this area and called it. Uh, the Tooele Valley. Apparently, people have been living in the area since at least 7,000 BCE, which is legit. Southwark, Suffolk. Okay, I said Sowark, but it's Suffolk. Sounds like a mispronunci- mispronunciation of Suffolk. Absolutely zero idea why this one gets even some of the native English, I have noticed. I don't feel too bad that I pronounced it wrong for the first little while I was living here. It's a London borough located in the south side of the Thames River, uh, including the Globe Theater and the S- <laughs> Suffolk Cathedral, which is actually where Shakespeare used to go to services when he lived nearby. Sorry for a long message. You guys are all great. Shout out to my Patreon sponsor. Awesome. Uh, also to your incredible background crew that puts all these messages together and helps the show run. I'm sure they know they're awesome, but I hope they know we know it too. For picture tax, I tried to attach a video I have of the London Eye cycling through lit up rainbow colors on the night of June 1st, but it was too big to fit. Trust me, it was really cool and you would have loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, I saw it. You would have loved it. Sorry about it. Oh man. That was fun. Yeah, good news was fun today. Thank you for the laugh and the palate cleanser after the the ranting and raging. And I love the little history lessons too. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I do learn so much from this podcast. Me too. All right. If you have anything you want to send in, again, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, I, I'll see everyone or see. Yeah, hopefully see. Whatever. I'll, uh, you'll hear me tomorrow and I'll, I'll, I'll feel you. <laughs> I'm sorry I said any of that. Should I do that again? <laughs> no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> Every once in a while, shit just comes out of my mouth and I'm like, who's talking right now? <laughs> I think I'll see you. No, I won't. No, I won't. You'll... you'll You'll hear me and I'll feel you. (laughs) Whatever. All of that sounded inappropriate. Call HR. There's an open door policy on this podcast. (laughs) I need an HR department. Uh, All right. That's probably for the best. We don't have one. Everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been Dana Goldberg. (laughs) Allison Gill. (laughs) I never know what she's going to do, people. Mercury's in retrograde, I think. <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> see you yeah. see you later. Okay, bye. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.